Well, we're we're in one Corinthians mainly, and we're coming into chapter six. Um, as you know, um, we're talking, we're looking at the church, and uh, I've just spent about two or three hours this afternoon uh, writing emails. I've been a little bit lax this week. Um, So I had a lot of emails to write, and um, which I enjoy doing and sharing. And I'd like to make a remark to begin with about a very important thing. One of the things in chapter 6 that Paul rebukes or gives warning about, um, if you look in chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians, he he talks about verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were washed. Or could be translated, you washed yourselves. Or you allowed yourselves to be washed. You are sanctified. You were sanctified. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. And you notice um, in those verses, you notice the Trinity, I hope, um, the kingdom of God. End of verse 10. And then you notice the name of the of the Lord Jesus and then the Spirit of God so you've got the Trinity right there and you've got you and me and the Corinthians sandwiched there in the Trinity Uh, such were some of you and something inwardly and mighty had happened to these people when the apostle and his friends came into Corinth, which would have been not too many years earlier, eight years maybe, uh, when he had arrived for the first time in Corinth. And the Lord working with him and them inwardly and you notice that these these things that he mentions he mentions 
Actions that spring from inward states. Revilers, fornicators, robbers, um, drunkards, those who are given to alcohol. And this was their states, this was their behavioural states. All behavioural states come, or behavioural actions, come from inward states. And when Paul carried the gospel in, God worked and the inward states of these people were changed by God. Now, only God can change the inward states. And how he does it is through our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit. And one of the things that we need to grasp that in our congregations, there will definitely be those to whom this has happened. God has come, the Father has come, his call has come, and he has reached them in their inner states, where all their uh, fornication, homosexuality, whatever it was in that dreadful list, revilers, gossips, and so on, they, they had been washed. God had brought them to the place where they allowed themselves to be washed. And I, I use that terminology because the Greek um, gives me a permission to do that. That it's not simply that God goes smash, uh, pushes you under the shower, something like that, and, and so on. It, it also involves you yielding yourself up to the washing. It kind of reminds me as when I was a little boy and um, we didn't have a bath in our house and um, the, the fire, coal fire, was burning and I think it was Saturday nights um, where it was our bath night once a week and um, at that time when I was sort of three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve years old, I only had one sister. I got another one, came along when I was twelve. But so it was myself and my sister. She, both my sisters are younger than me. But my sister and I would be put into the tin bath. And uh, we had to succumb to the washing. We had to succumb to it. We had to yield to it. We had to allow, I think it was my father mainly that did it, what mum was doing, I don't know. But um, dad would do it. And so we wouldn't struggle and we wouldn't fight. But our cooperation was involved. And... It's this same sort of suggestion. And if I swing your minds back into the Old Testament, you can remember the 
it was God's desire to have the whole nation to be a kingdom of priests. Their major ministry was to be priests. But because there were so many of them, it was an impossibility that they could all be priests. That they could, you all know what a priest is, don't you? You know that a priest is someone who lives both ways. Say, what, are, what do you mean, Bernard? I mean that they are, a priest is someone who is before God, worship, leading worship. hope everyone recognizes this because it's in these basic things that the church has wandered big time in the last 40 or 50 years where there are plenty of people on the platforms uh, who are not priestly in their hearts at all. And so they attempt to lead people and they lead them into emotional release and this, that and the other. But they don't bring them to God. Thank God there are those that are the opposite to that. But so a priest lives Godward personally, individually, and therefore that expression comes when he or she is there publicly. And the priest lives the opposite way too. In the Old Testament, the priest represented God and he brought the ministry of God's heart out of the sanctuary, we could say, and delivered it to the people. And it's the priestly ministry that is the bedrock of all real ministry, all real ministry. And, of course, Moses was priest in a way. He was mediator of the old covenant. He never calls himself priest that I know of, but that's what he was, a mediator, the one who was living both ways facing both ways permanently. I'm not talking about going in and out, in and out, turning around, turning around. I'm talking about living in this dual direction. And you can all remember, I'm sure, how Moses, he he received the covenant from God. Up on the mountain, he received the pattern from the mountain. And then he delivered the pattern to the people. He delivered the law, the heart of God. The law on ten, uh, in ten um, words on two tablets of stones are God's nature in words. That's what they are. So you shall have no other gods before me. That's the first one. And that's the nature of God. God the Father has no other God but his Son and Spirit. And the the Son has no other God but the Father. And God is not an adulterer. He doesn't go giving himself to other loves. And so we could go on. He doesn't steal. He doesn't rob. 
Um, it's very wonderful if you just think of God in words is what we call the Ten Commandments, and uh, which become Ten Promises, by the way, in the New Covenant. Um, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. But uh, if I get back to this main point, in order for the, the people of God, it was impossible that all of them could become priests. So God selected out of them a particular tribe, the tribe of Levi. And out of that tribe, he selected a family. Uh, the family of Aaron and his four sons. And he selected them to be representative to all, of all the nation, of all the people, because it was impossible to have them all as priests. And when the tabernacle had been built uh, and the sacrifices put in place, Aaron and his four sons made their way into the tabernacle and they made their way to the laver, that sort of bath of water, and they undressed till they were naked and they put themselves in the hands of Moses, the mediator, and he washed them. You can read this. He washed them. And only after the and in that washing, there was a sanctifying. If you look at the order of these words, you and us in evangelical backgrounds, we'd always want to put justification first, but it's not. Uh, it's washing. And then it's sanctifying. You were sanctified. You were set apart from common use. The, the basic meaning of sanctification, of course, is linked with holiness. And holiness means that we are not bound up. We're not any longer people for common use. We are for, we are sanctified. We are for holy use. We have been separated. And I mean, uh, Paul is on from Ireland and he will remember this. I certainly do from my, when, when Hazel and I were, uh, well, I was living in Northern Ireland temporarily and living on a farm and I'd drive down in the evenings to Hazel's place in the Republic and um, we'd meet a few other people. We'd have little meetings back in 69 and 70. And uh, I can always remember Hazel's mum's house where, of course, Hazel's mum was good old Irish lady and she would make this great big pot of porridge, oat porridge, and in this old sort of battered pot, uh, saucepan, and um, 
made with water and salt. It was horrible. And um, what would happen, of course, was it would go solid. She'd cook it all. It would go solid in a great big lump in the pot. And then, of course, Hazel would come down in the morning. And if I happened to be around, I'd be expected to eat some of this stuff. And they would, uh, Hazel would take great dollops of this sort of solid uh, oatmeal, you'd call it in the States, and dump it in a little saucepan and then heat it and then have it. This is how it was. And all of those vessels were common in the kitchen. But then when there was a special evening supper, in those days, supper in Ireland took place about nine o'clock in the evening, and it comprised sandwiches and cakes and pies and, you know, apple pie and flans and all this sort of stuff. And at this event, a special event, out from the special dresser uh, with glass front would come the uncommon vessels, the holy vessels, the valuable vessels, the china, the, china, the top-grade china, and the Waterford glass dishes for the, oh, this jelly, and I don't know what, what do you call jelly in the States? I can't remember, but anyway... Um, you know, di different uses. Now, you and I are sanctified. We are these Corinthians. They've been sanctified. They've been brought out from the commonality of life. They've been washed. And all this was inward. All this was inward because it was accomplished by the Spirit of God. It wasn't accomplished by Paul. It, it wasn't accomplished by him. This was done by God the Father, through God the Son, by the Holy Spirit. And I'm sad to say that I know that there are many who would profess to be Christians, but they know not this inward miracle having happened where they can look back to a time not necessarily an evening not necessarily a morning but a time in their lives where they allowed themselves to be thoroughly in the hands of jesus our great high priest and he washed us in the labor of regeneration and he in that action he asserted that we were no longer common vessels. We are vessels of holiness, vessels unto honor, vessels with particular purpose, valuable vessels. And they're the only people that are justified, that's the third word, in God's sight. Those who are washed and sanctified. And, you know, why, why do I come on to this? Because the, it's what you were and what you are. And it's, it's inwardly. And so Paul is 
horrified in a way, though perhaps not too surprised, though I'm sure he's surprised at some of the things that had happened in Corinth, how they were slipping back, not into the states of sin, but they were going back into sinning. Now, you, you understand the distinction that I make there. For instance, if someone said to me something that I knew to be a lie, I wouldn't say to him, you're a liar. Because if I said to him, you're a liar, I would be talking about his state. But I would say, you're telling an untruth. You're telling a lie. Now, if he continued and continued and continued and continued to lie, 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 so that his whole life was one great construct of untruth, then I could say he's a liar. You understand the distinction. And the same thing could be true about um, a reviler, someone who is even more than a gossip, someone who is talking, a railer, the old version said, even a railer, someone who's forever talking about other people, dividing the church, splitting things up. Now, uh, the reason I mention railer, gossiper, and that sort of thing, someone whose gossip has a nasty edge all the time. Of course, there are some people who that becomes their state. And uh, that's an awful thing. It becomes their condition of heart. It's what they are. Now, obviously, in Corinth, some had come from that background. They'd been washed. They'd been sanctified. They'd been justified. They were now vessels under honour, but they were giving place to habits of railing again in the assembly. In the assembly. And... Um, this is this is important that we grasp. We know that the man in chapter five was was giving a, a, a given place to a state of living from which we know he repented. Um, but I hope I'm making myself clear that um, you know. Everything depends on the inward work. Take meetings. I'm going to come on to meetings perhaps in a few weeks' time. There is little value in assembling together if all that's happening is coming out of people's heads. Little value. You know, it's what comes and rises in the heart what rises from the communion that a man and a woman has in their hearts it's the christ rising up in you to 
and showing himself forth by the things that we call the gifts and ministries of the spirit. It's coming from the inward place and it is only safe in a church if those vessels that are participating have that present testimony, but I'm a washed man, I'm a... I'm a sanctified man. I'm a justified man. I'm, 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 ex- I'm in the spirit of God. If you, you may remember, and I, I'll talk in some detail about these things, you know, they're so seldom seen. I thank God that in my life I have lived where Hazel would say, she's sitting next to me here, that we lived several times, one time, uh, for many months in our city, in our church, that they were like days of heaven on earth. There's nothing like it. Where the Spirit of God was in every meeting because we brought him there. And we didn't need any mechanized things to stir us. But the Spirit of God rose. And it's interesting, this past week, uh, we've been trying to do some spring cleaning here in autumn. And uh, having got back into our place, and I came across two boxes full of old music cassettes. You know, I'm rather eclectic with my music tastes, those little cassettes, and they're no good. Um, nowadays and um, so I decided to throw them all away but I thought I'd check through them and I came across the cassette uh, of our daughter Ginny's dedication I think she may be listening listening. unless she's gone to watch Country File (laughs) Um, uh, you know it was Ginny's dedication, and uh, uh, you could in Exeter, and in the meeting, you could hear the heart of God in the singing and the rising of the prayers and the, some prophecies and so on. And then, after the dedication of uh, both Ginny and another lady's daughter, I, I preached. And, you know, sorry it happens to me, me, but I can never remember preaching on what I preached that day in 1945, in 19, uh, <laughs> 1975. Um, but it was all so fresh. It was all so full of life. It was all so, and I knew where it came from. It came from the blessed life of the Lord within. And that's the thing. Um, Paul mentions this in chapter 14 of the letter. And he says that people coming in, if you really know the ministry of God rising in your hearts and coming forth through your mouth, through your actions, even as you're gathered together, he will be down on his face, it says, 
and he'll say that God is in you of a truth. Now, I don't know whether you want that, but that's what I want. I More and more, that when you're, the Lord's people are gathered together, they are gathered together like vessels that are pristine and clean. They are... Uh, extraordinary peculiar people because they are clean because they are sanctified because they speak boldly because they're free of guilt they're justified and they know who's done it god has done it now this this is real church which is what we're trying to talk about in these days this is real church where there is the victory note that is coming through all the time. And it's a tremendous thing. Now, from this, the Corinthians had slipped away. They'd, you know, they'd, they'd gotten this idea that all things were lawful. And so you can understand how unique on earth the church is. A church, because you notice how Paul talks about inheriting the kingdom of God here, that people who are practicing reviling and extortioners and, you know, who are, who are living in those inward states, they won't inherit the kingdom of God. Do you believe that the church should be a place where you have entered into the kingdom already so that you are already dwelling under his reign under his rule and you're living there um, in your hearts with others that are living under his reign and under his rule and under the wonder of his kingdom it's a wonderful kingdom. Do you believe the church should be a microcosm, a little window on earth where the people are utterly different? Now, I swing back in my mind to the Old Testament people. And one day I might get to speak on, on that scripture in Leviticus. Uh, what one is it? 26, I think, where... You know that on the first day of the week, they came with a full basket. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's remarkable. A certain feast day, they were to come. A Syrian, ready to perish, was my father. That's who I was, ready to perish. Talking about Abraham, a Syrian, ready to perish, was I. And then God got got hold of me. And uh, I've come with my full basket to offer up praises to God that, that I'm redeemed. And um, it's a tremendous chapter. Have I got the right chapter, darling? Um, 23 or 26? 26. Um, Is it 23? Uh, it might be 23. I'll just get the chapter right. Oh, no, it's not. It must be in Deuteronomy. But uh, try Deuteronomy 23. But um, 
you can see that there's something tremendous. And for Paul to write like this, you know, the church should be a microcosm of the kingdom. And look at this in chapter 6, verse 1. Dare any of you, having a matter against another, go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Do you know not that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Do you not know that we shall judge angels? How much more the things that pertain to this life? If then you have judgments concerning things pertaining to this life, do you appoint those who are least esteemed by the church to judge? Who's he talking about? Well, he's just said, what, what, what are you doing? people of God. You're supposed to be the repository of wisdom. You're, you're a washed people. What are you doing going before those who were least esteemed in the church? Least esteemed, he's talking about the worldly judges they're going in front of. Least esteemed in the church. Now, please understand me when I see this. Are we supposed to really esteem as brilliant some of these scientists and politicians? Are we really supposed to? They're the least esteemed in the church. They're not washed. You see, the, the church is a miracle. The church is different. The church is peculiar in it, it being unique. And uh, are you going to appointing these that are least esteemed in the church to judge, going before a secular judge? What are you doing with your brother? Then he's going to really put his finger on it. I say this to your shame. Verse 5. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you? Not even one who will be able to judge between his brethren, but brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. Now, therefore, it is already an utter failure for you. There was a book that was very popular. Some of you will have read it. Written by a, a man, I won't mention his name. He lives in Canada. And um, he was very linked with another brother down in uh, California. Um, I won't mention his name. But the writer of the book, said that the other brother had um, stolen some of the thises and thats in the story and so on and so on and so on. And there was the threat of going to law before the Californian. And I think the authorities, the secular judges, 
And a few of the people, brothers in the Lord, said, oh, don't do that. And somehow they made a settlement out of court. But Paul says, you know, it's an utter failure for you that you go to law against one another. Why do you not rather suffer wrong? Why do you not rather let yourselves be cheated? No, you yourselves do wrong and cheat. And you do these things to your brethren. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit? Isn't it remarkable? Suffer loss. The churches are rent today by petty, petty things between brothers. Gossip. Uh, arguments. Oh, he did this to me. She did that to me. And so on. Do we not know we have been brought into what this kingdom of God is like? No, we don't know, as we ought to know. Part of the reason we don't know is because we do not know how to wait and to dwell in his presence and know the power of his inward life, giving opportunity and time for that inward life to uh, diffuse his peace across our souls so that we could not care less if someone's saying this against us and we don't enter into the lists and we don't become you know, uh, argumentative. We, we, we're filled with mercy. You see, there is a dimension down in the inner places of God and the inner life of God has been put into us. We are washed, we are sanctified, we are justified. You and I must learn to live there much more. And there the arguing cease. There there is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. That's what the kingdom of God is, Romans fourteen seventeen. And, you know... To, to live down there and even in the meetings I tell you this we, we don't wait enough for the living seed of Christ to rise up in us with his word with his sanity with his love of course this takes time it's something to be learned where, you know, if you don't do it in private, you won't do it in public. That's fine, thanks, Tom. You know, it's a, a tremendous thing. And here's the church in Corinth. You're behaving just like you would have done before the Lord ever came to you. You're just allowing the mind of the world to, to stir you up. 
you know, and uh, I know sometimes I tell you one of the places where I get stirred up more than anything else is when I'm driving and someone does something horrible, you know, and mindless, some joker sort of deciding I'm going too slow. And anyway, and you've got to take three deep breaths and calm down. And, uh, but, you know, there's something here. But imagine the church. And then he reminds them, you know, don't you know that people doing this, you're another people, you're another people. Ah, and then, you know, having reminded them of where they've come from and the riches that they had now been brought into. Don't you think it's a wonderful thing that um, there is an inward life? You know, the Lord Jesus, you know, he, you know, he talked about the Holy Spirit, didn't he? And uh, one of the things he said, of course, almost the first thing, was he said to the woman at the well, you know, everything that God did was re re redemptive. So he, he spoke to the woman at the well. He, she's the first person that he said, I am to. Before he ever said it to a man, and the men in the boat in chapter 6 of John's Gospel, he said it to a woman, and the woman at the well, I am, he said to her. And you remember, it was all to do with a well. It was all to do with living water. Um, and he said, do you know what the Messiah gives you? Because she was talking about the Messiah. Well, you Jews say the Messiah is this, and we say the other, and you know, we Samaritans, and, you know, Jesus said, not in that mountain in Jerusalem, not in that mountain Gerizim in Samaria will people worship, but they'll worship the Father in spirit and in truth. I hope you, you, you get the difference. Jesus said, worship the Father. In the Old Testament, it was nearly always worshipping God. There's a difference, you see. Worship the Father. You'll know him as Father. You can only know him as Father if the spirit of sonship's in you. That'll change your language. But anyway, Jesus said, you know, the water that I'll give to you, if you drink it, it will become in you a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Wonderful. That's chapter four of John. You all know it so well. It will come, the well will come in you. You'll have water in you. You'll never thirst again. The basic thirst will be satisfied. But the well of water will be fed by a spring and it will be a spring that springs up into life of an everlasting quality. Don't think of 
duration of time as everlasting. It's to do, first of all, with quality. Zoe. Life. As, a, as opposed or not bios. Bios is natural life. Zoe in Greek is life of a quality that doesn't grow old, that doesn't die away, that is wonderful, life that is righteous and peaceful and joyful in the Holy Ghost. Come and drink this water, lady. This is the water that the Messiah will give you. And uh, it must have been wonderful for her to hear, oh, the heart filled with hope. Oh, neither in, you know, it puts all the squabbling between Samaritan and, and Jew was finished with. In that, in what Jesus said, hallelujah, hallelujah. You know, it's just the same for us, you know, it, it, it's so good to to realize there's no such thing as a Jewish Christian. No such thing as an American Christian, a Gentile Christian. There's a, there's a Christian who happens to come from an American background or a Canadian background or a Christian who happens to come from a Jewish background. You know, that's that's the thing. You you've been brought and I've been brought into a new kingdom, a new realm, where you're not squabbling about, you know, he's cheated me of this and he's taken away that. Isn't it remarkable how you know we we get so bogged down the church is riven with gossip, you know, and division and you know because someone is giving way. There's a difference between talking about a serious matter from a loving heart with someone else wisely and someone just gossiping. Did you know that? Big difference. Motive is everything. Where's it come from? A loving, caring, quiet heart. The church in Corinth, Paul had been written to or informed by the household of Chloe, chapter 1, about what was going on in Corinth. He doesn't say you're a bunch of gossips, you Chloe ladies, you people from Chloe's house. He knew their motive was right. Their hearts were filled with love and concern. Serious things, you know, but just imagine the church. Oh, he calls them back. Don't you remember? Don't you remember? Then in verse 14, chapter 6, he says, All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any that is a vital phrase do you love coffee i will i love coffee i will not be brought under the power of any 
I will not be brought under the power. All things are lawful for me. <coughs> but I won't be brought under the power of the standards and values of this world. Let them take one another to court. I'll suffer myself to be defrauded. Another kingdom. Another kingdom. That's the thing. That's the church. I'll not be brought under the power of any. Foods for the stomach, verse 13. And the stomach for foods, but God will destroy both it and them. That puts food into its place and the processes of digestion in the body. Puts it all into place. God will destroy both it, the stomach as we know it, and them. So don't let yourself be ruled over by the bottle or the, I must have this food and I must have that food. I will not be brought under the power of any. I will not be brought under the power. Do you know, um, There's there was a man who wrote a book, I think it was in 1951, Polish man, actually, he was um, born in Lithuania. Uh, in about 1911, I think. And his name was Milos Czesław Milos Czesław Milos. And he wrote the book in uh, 1951, I think, while com living in Warsaw at the time. And he was uh, Polish. He lived in Poland. He'd lived under Nazism and communism and so on, and I don't know whether he was a Christian at all, but the book's called The Captive Mind, and it's full of perception about the way that uh, the communism, Stalinism in, uh, worked to, to bring the mind of people into captivity. I will not be brought under the power of any. I will not be brought under the power. And he was a man who, he was posted to Washington, he was posted to Paris, if I remember rightly, and then went back to Poland and um, lived through it all. And he recognized what was happening systematically to people's minds. And you know, we are brought under the power of the prosperity gospel. It, multitudes of Christians in in America have been brought, and Nigeria, and I'm sorry to say in Asia as well, have been brought under the power of the prosperity gospel, that God wants us to have loads of money. And people are, I will not be brought under the power of that error. I will not be brought under the power. That's what Paul says. I will not be brought under the power of any. Of any. I won't be brought under the power of sexual sin. I will not be brought under the power of uh, this and that. I will not be brought. You say, well, uh, 
how about this? Because you know that the word power there is not the one for dunamis, dynamis, dynamite, uh, dynamic. It's the it's the word exousia, which authority. I will not be brought under the authority. I will not allow my heart, my mind to be brought into this way of thinking. If I think of the, the captive mind, it's, it's challenging to me because I see this happening. The battle for the mind is going on day by day. We must have church like this. We must have church like that. There's a battle for the mind that's even been going on in that dimension, I'm sorry to say. Where's your this? How big's your church? You know, this is the kind of thing, question I get asked, especially in Asia and even in Africa. So how big's your church? Oh, I don't know. I'm not very interested. You see, but they measure everything. India's terrible for this. How big's your church? I will not be brought under the power of new numbers. That's the kind of thing. And Paul says, you know, he says something about the body. Uh, so I'm back in chapter 6 at the end of verse 13. Paul says something very strange here because he's just talked about the destruction of the stomach and food. Now, he says, now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. And the Lord for the body. Uh, have a little, have a little uh, savour of that word, those of you who don't think much of your body. <laughs> um, ah! The, sorry, I've got a trouble with sitting down. Cramp, 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 cramp. The Lord is for my body. <laughs> Let me stretch my leg out. Oh dear. I put it under the chair and that's what happens. Anyway, um, <laughs> the Lord is for my body, even though it's 76 years old. Um, but, uh, amen, you know, the Lord is for your body. Do you, do you know something about, um, in, there's a verse in Colossians chapter 1 where that says this, Paul says, my flesh is for his body. My flesh is for his body. Very important. It's Colossians chapter 1. My flesh for his body. The Lord is for your body. He, he, you you realise what that means? You know, it's not for sexual immorality. It's not for you doing what you like. You know, God may indeed destroy the stomach and the food, as Paul has already said, 
but he's not going to destroy your body. You know that he's, there's the redemption of the body. He's going to, he's going to develop that in chapter 15. Your body is not going to be lost. You're not going to be bodiless in the resurrection. You're going to be given a body of glory, so am I. But the glory will vary. And you say, what's the body of glory? Well, one of the things about the body that you and I will receive, it'll be our body. I don't know how that will work, but God will do it. And one of the things is that that body will be like unto his glorious body. And when John was looking at the body of his glory, there were times when he looked like a shepherd and there were times when he looked like uh, a lamb with horns and eyes and... You say, well, well, this body that he has, it must be a glorious body because it allows all his inward states to be visible at their appropriate time. When he's the lamb he with the eyes and the horns and the authority, it is displaying that he is the eternal king. You see, at the moment, our body, my body, is limiting me, isn't it? Even the machinations of my brain are limiting, you see, at this time. Imagine that my, my, my brain will be changed. So there will be a liberty to express the all the things i mean every preacher should know this they should know this oh i i know i was in the spirit of god i know i was speaking his word but oh i know that there's so much more and i can't express it can't express it it's much more and that's partly the limitations of the organ of the brain. But one day we shall have a body like unto his glorious body. So take care of your body now. Don't indulge it. Don't be brought under the power of things. Paul is going to say something similar at the end of chapter 9. He says that uh, I'm temperate in all things that's your secret about food it was this that convinced me all those many many years ago to stop smoking you know when i was just in my early 20s and i knew i must stop because you know who wants to destroy the body who wants to do it damage and uh, Paul says, you know, that I'm temperate in all things. Now, the, those people do this, you know, those runners and racers in the Olympics to obtain a perishable crown, but we an imperishable. Therefore, I run thus, end of chapter nine, 
not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one that beats the air, but I discipline my body to bring it into subjection. How possibly can you do that rightly unless that inward life is working in you? You see, that's part of the power of the inward life that enables you. Christ is in you. Christ is in you. Give him an opportunity to rise up in you. Wait upon him. Become become aware of his movings in your heart. Let him go deeper down into you. He is a tree, the tree of righteousness. He wants to root down into you the inward Christ. He wants to root down. And if he root down in you, will he not come up in you more and more, in your thoughts and in your actions? Will he not by his spirit bear fruit in you? This, is, this comes from the inward life. An inward life in Christ I live. And exercised in things divine. This is, these are the things about which Paul is seeking to bring them. Because I go back into chapter 6 and having thought a little about disciplining the body. You know, I go back into chapter 6 and then he says, uh, verse 14, God both raised up the Lord, chapter 6. And will raise us up by his power. Now Paul in Romans 8. He's already telling us about the power that works in us. That even affects our bodies. You check Romans 8 up. You see this is the miracle that the Lord has done. And we we forget these things. Perhaps we we don't avail ourselves. And we don't familiarize us familiarize ourselves with his his inward presence who gently would move us and verse 15 do you not know that your bodies are the members of christ shall i then take the members of christ and make them members of a harlot certainly not or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? By the way, if I mention this to you, that prostitution in Corinth was like the whole city was a red light district. Don't know whether you knew that. But it was a port city and the whole city, virtually all of these men who were in the church would have come from that kind of background where wives permitted it. And if they preferred little boys, that was okay. That was the background in the city. So Paul is not being dirty minded. He knew that these men, and he's reasoning with the church and says, you're the body of Christ, you're different. You're, 
you're in the kingdom of God. You've been washed. You've been sanctified. You've been justified. Now, oh, the, don't don't become one flesh. Then he says this lovely verse in verse seventeen. Very important verse. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. He who is joined to the Lord is one spirit. How? What do you think about that? One spirit. You see, this is the thing. I will tell you who I have real fellowship with. Those whom, who, like me, are one spirit with the Lord, who are attending to him, listening to him. One spirit with him. Now don't sort of get, we mustn't get confused about this. Oh, what is the spirit of your thought, Lord? What is the spirit of your thought? Are you not merciful? Do you not think mercy before judgment? Is this not your spirit? Of course it is. We, if we live in another spirit, we think judgment before mercy. Do you understand? We think law before grace. We invert things. The religious invert things. You know, when it talks of Jesus, it says he was full of grace and truth. It doesn't say truth and grace. It says grace and truth. That's the spirit. He comes graciously to us with his truth and says, will you drink deeply of my truth, my reality? You see, we're one spirit with him. Oh, do you know the powers of this world? The spirit of this world would dull that sensibility from those of us who know it to be true. I, I, I've been, you know, it's, it's wonderful, that lady, you know, it shall be a well of water springing up in you to everlasting life. That's what Jesus, Jesus said to the woman. And uh, how wonderful, how wonderful it is. Then he says this, and I'm drawing to an end. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin a man does is outside the body. But he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Now, you can't see this. But verse 18 is singular. He who sins against his own body, he who commits sexual immorality, he sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body, now he's in the plural. The word body is singular. The word your is obviously plural. 
Do you not know that your body, singular, body singular, your plural, is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Your members of Christ, you're part of one body. There isn't a Jewish body. There isn't a Gentile body. There's not a Catholic body, Roman Catholic. These are denominations of men. These are races. But your body is the temple. There's one body. He's going to develop this in chapter 12. 13 and 14. There's one spirit and there's one body and there's one Lord. I will not be brought under the power of Stalin. I will not be brought under the power of this or that or the other. I will not be brought under the power because I'm already under the power, the authority. One Lord, one body. Then he carries on. So don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who's in you? Plural. In you. He's talking to the whole church. He's not focusing on individuals now. He's just trying to show them, look, your individual body and what you do with it affects the whole body of which you are a part. There is connection. You're not your own. He's going to say this. You're not your own. End of verse 19. You're not your own. You're you were brought, bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. And my version says, and in your spirit, which are God's. Newer versions miss out the in your spirit. It's not in all the manuscripts. But don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God and you are not your own. <clears throat> Corinthians, your one body. Stop sinning against the body. The one body. In your body, your individual bodies, in what you're doing with them and what you're doing in them the way you're behaving against one another. This is not what priests are. You're the temple of the Holy Ghost. Singular. You're, you're the local expression. You're, you're the place where the Holy Spirit, I mean, to me, these things are very, very wonderful. You know, to come together with an increasing consciousness of who is in you 
And I know some of you, many of you can't come together. There's hardly anybody you can come together with, with whom you're one spirit. You're really one spirit. You see, that's a testimony to some of the confusions that have been allowed to come in to the churches. Paul won't mention, mind me mentioning this in Ireland, but all those years ago, we had some wonderful days. God so united people. Oh dear, it was tremendous. God did it. Same spirit. Same Lord. Same God. Same. It was everyone just delighted to be the body. I can remember times in the big marquee and those conferences where God was so present that people repented and hearts were broken and sometimes strange things happened as deliverance came about and these. But I know that the secret is that we we waited upon him. We knew him in our hearts. We knew that we were washed. We knew that we were separated from common use. We were sanctified. And that brought with it this boldness that comes with knowing you're justified. Justified. Not by what I have done but by the fact that he has washed me and he has ju- he has sanctified me and he's made me his own and he's put his mark upon me. And praise God, praise God, you're brought, bought with a price. You're bought with a price. Glorify God in your body. I've been having correspondence this week with a brother <clears throat> uh, in another country several uh, times and he's querying everything to do with taking up the sword. Should we fight for our country? And he's wrestling over this issue. Because in his country, he has to go into the army. There's no choice attached. Um, I don't think they can even go into the fire service or something in lieu. I think they have to go to war. And so the alternative possibly for him will be prison. And uh, if he doesn't go, and he, how can I learn to to kill and he's he's wrestling over this issue and you know and one of the men that he's been reading says that in a time of war we must suffer unto blood from Hebrews so he wrote to me about this and I replied to him this afternoon and I said you know If you really honour the Lord in your heart and in your life and you will not become subject to that 
that would force you to take up arms and kill, it's possible that you would suffer unto blood. Then I mentioned people, some of you will have heard of them, who became stretcher bearers in the First World War, Christians who refused to take up arms, and they suffered under blood as they, as Christians, served as stretcher bearers in the trenches and things like this. You know, but you see, it's all glorify God in your body. I will not be <laughs> put under the power of any. Um, you're the temple of the Holy Ghost. So I've made my way through a little bit of chapter six, trying to show us, oh, let's be priests indeed. You know, one of the things I learned about the priests years ago is that they were men of blood. They were men of blood. They had blood in the hands often, but it was the blood of the sacrifice. And of course, they, <laughs> that's all a picture of Jesus. His is the blood we are to handle. This is my body given for you, broken and given to you, for you. So I think I must stop. Amen and amen. <laughs> um, I hope it's helpful and leading gradually on. So he's going to come into chapter 7 and he's going to talk all about uh, how as God's people we think of marriage and divorce and the preciousness of daughters that are unmarried in his context there. And he's going to talk about things like this, that we don't follow the world's ways. We don't come under the power of the traditions of the world, but we, we have wisdom from God. And he's going to go through chapter 7 like that. And he's going to move into chapter 8 and so on. So I'm running ahead. Thank you, Mark. I think that's enough.